what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going to be looking at the, the Bible. I'm going to be uh, talking from the Bible. And so one of the things we do is we'll read the Bible, and then I'll, I'll explain it, and then I'll talk about what that looks like in our lives to apply it. So we're going to read it, explain it, and apply it. Really simple. Uh, that's what we're going to do. So uh, I'm going to be reading from James chapter 3. James is uh, in the Bible in the New Testament. So if I could be reading from there, James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses, and we're going to be looking at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So here it is. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Come on, somebody. We all make many mistakes. But if we could control, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and able also to control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the Scripture. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that we would hear your voice through it and we would be encouraged and strengthened by it in Jesus' name. Hey, one of the things I'm super excited about that I want to mention, though, is that the students here are going to Hope City Church. I want to give a big shout-out to the students because we love our students. We believe in our students. So check it out. They're students. But they're going into San Bernardino, and they are going to do all of the uh, handing out the food, the free food, the food for the week. They're going to lead the worship. They're going to do the message. So we really believe that they're able to do it today. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. So we're super excited about that. And uh, I really believe that the pandemic, you know, a lot of people are pulling back. It's a pandemic. I really believe for the church, anyway, this is a time not to pull back. This is a time to realize that there's opportunities in the midst of a pandemic. And we got to realize that uh, the church is God's gift to the community, and so we want to be giving that gift away. So we're super excited that the students are going. And uh, So we're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. The title of the message is this, the two-ounce beast, the two-ounce beast. So it says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for you're going to be judged more strictly. Well, we began this journey in James chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 1, and he said this, he said, James, introducing himself, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, my brethren. And then he goes on to talk about needing wisdom and all that. But what I want to point out here is that the letter that this was written to in the New Testament church, they were scattered like we also are scattered we are scattered geographically. People are watching online. People are, are in their cars. But we're scattered. We're also, I think, if you think about it, we're not only scattered geographically, but we're scattered relationally. You know what I mean? Like we don't connect because of the pandemic. People are shut in. So we don't connect as much as we used to connect. I think also we're not only uh, scattered geographically and uh, relationally, but I think emotionally too. Like there's just a distancing that happens because of the pandemic. So James is writing to people that are experiencing really the same things as that we are today. So I'm going to begin then in verse 1 where it says, uh, not many of you should become teachers in the church. So what was happening was there was a great desire for people to want to teach. So people were clamoring to teach. They thought that was it. So it was extremely popular 
Uh, and lots of people ended up teaching that had no business teaching. They didn't realize their responsibility. They didn't realize that you shouldn't rush into it. So James is saying, hey, just slow down. Slow down. Not everybody rush into it, giving a stern warning about the seriousness that we need to proceed with caution, those that want to be teaching in the church. He's saying, don't jump into it for recognition and accolades and status. Be sure that God's called you. If he's called you, hey, we need to go for it. But just be careful about being a teacher in the church because really uh, you can't just spout your opinions. You have to be careful to articulate the truth because there's a lot of people who are going to be impacted by your words. There's a lot of people who are going to be influenced by your words. And so James said, hey, you're going to be held uh, more strictly on the day of judgment. You're going to be held accountable. You have a greater responsibility for what you say. So he goes on to say, but not only do those people need to watch their words there's a healthy caution that all of us need to have with our words found in verse 2 where he says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. By a show of hands, can we admit that we make many mistakes? Come on, get them up. And so thank you for that transparency. You know, the 10 o'clock service is the really honest service. Can I just say that? The 8.30, not quite so much. But the 10 o'clock, the hands are flying up everywhere because you're honest. But he says, we make many mistakes. In other words, we have many problems. We have stumbling in our lives in many ways. We wrestle through issues, and many times those issues, they pin us to the mat. And so he says, the easiest way to stumble is with what? but with our words. Come on, somebody. Is that, can you admit the easiest way to stumble is with your words? Because there it is. I'm loving, I'm loving it. So because you think about men, I did, I did some research. Men speak between seven and 20,000 words of the research out there. Women will speak, thank you, 25 to 30 on average. Yeah. And with gusts up to 50,000. And so but the bottom line is this, is that we can speak all day long with no restraint, so many words, and we have these endless opportunities, friends, we have endless opportunities to stumble with our words. So what I'm going to do this morning is three things, three things. We're going to talk about the power of the tongue. Then we're going to talk about the problems with the tongue. Then we're going to talk about God's purpose with our tongues. Verse 2, talking about the power of the tongue. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and able also to control ourselves in every other way. In other words, as goes your tongue, so goes your life. So goes your body. If we could control our tongues, in other words, if we could recognize the magnitude of the power and the problem with our tongues. Well, what is it our tongues that we need to control? Anybody here in the house need to control criticism of your tongue? I'm just saying. Is there anybody that needs to control some complaining of the tongue? All right, I love the transparency. Anybody at the ranch today need to control the cussing of their tongue? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And so you drove in this morning cussing out your who's ever in the car, and then you get out of the car holding hands, going to get donuts like you weren't cussing somebody out. But James is saying that we need to control our tongues. How many people need to control the insults of your tongue? How many need to control insincere words of flattery? How many people need to control exaggeration of your tongue? 
How many people need to control, thank you, the sarcasticness of your tongue? Maybe a little slander, shading the speech. Can we all agree that there's something about our tongues that we need to control? Can we just give it, can you give me that? And so, thank you. It says that if we would control our tongues, we would be perfect. Well, it really means mature. In other words, if we could control our tongues, you have reached a level of maturity in your life, spiritual maturity. So when James uses the word tongue, do you think he's really talking about the tongue? Or is he talking to something else maybe kind of connected to the tongue? Friends, he's not just talking about the tongue. He's talking about your heart. I mean, think about it. Your tongue is just this muscle, but really the tongue is just a muscle that really is a merely a messenger to deliver what's in your heart. A messenger to deliver what's in your head. The tongue is a messenger just able to form the words then that the word pictures that then come out through our mouths. But really the tongue is connected to the heart. So he says this in verse 3. And remember he's talking about, he's amplifying the examples of the power of the tongue. The next few verses. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. So the picture is, picture a horse, got a little piece of metal in its mouth. And all it takes is a small little piece of metal to be like the steering wheel to, to control this massive beast of a horse. And so you are able then to pull to the right on the reins. It'll go to the right. You pull it to the left. And that little bit will, through the reins will cause it to go to the left. You pull back. It will pull it back. And so it's showing that the power of that little bit to control the entire horse. Well, the author is saying that your mouth is just like that. Your mouth controls so much more than you're aware of. Now, I like to ride horses. Uh, I take my family often in the summertime. Uh, the last few years, we've gone to Montana or Wyoming. And so we went horseback riding a couple years ago. And I didn't have control of the horse, didn't have the bit in its mouth. It was my fault, but I lost control. What happened is my horse took off, rammed into my wife's horse. My wife goes flying off her horse, smashes her head on the ground. She's got a, her head looks like she had red dye. It was all bloodied up. And then I hit the ground full speed. The paramedic said I could have died. Uh, it, was, it was pretty wild. And so I'm out for like five minutes, out cold, on the ground. Paramedics are there, end up in the hospital, whitefish, uh, community hospital, emergency room. My neck was painful for a year, popping and clicking. And the, again, the paramedics told me I could have died. Well, what did I learn about that? This full, this full, full speed collision uh, causing all of this problem to my family. I learned a very serious lesson, and that is when you lose control of the reins, you, you're, you're in a serious place because then you lose, you're losing control in my place. I was losing control of my life when I lost control of the reins. And it all traced back to this little something so small, this little piece of metal that's like a steering wheel in the horse's mouth. Well, James is saying that your mouth is like a steering wheel for all of your life. So have you, can you ever think of a moment where you lost control of the reins of your life? Okay, you lost control of the reins. Maybe you lost control of the emotions, that emotional reign of your life, and you said words that you regret. I think sometimes we lose control of the reins of anger. Uh, we say things that, that we regret. So if you're a Christ follower, then God wants to control the words in your mouth. And we're going to talk about that when we conclude. So if that's not enough to get the idea that, hey, 
He needed to control something small. Then he goes on to a ship, and he says in verse 4, the same is true of a ship. No matter how large they are or strong the winds get, if you control the rudder, which is like your mouth, a little tiny piece of equipment, then you're in control of the whole ship. So now think 100,000 tons of a cruise ship, and you got that little rudder in the back. The wind is blowing, but it's got control over the whole ship through the wind, this massive cruise ship. So what he's saying, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing, verse 5, but what, watch, enormous damage that it can do. So now we're going to talk about the problem of the tongue. The tongue is a small part of you, a two-ounce beast, but it's, it's sometimes more problematic than anything else in our lives and has great power, he's saying, to do great damage. James is just trying to get us to take seriously how serious the tongue is. I think that one of the things we do is this. We sort of categorize sin. And some categories are like the really bad sins, the axe murder, the child molester. And we sort of clump those in a category of sin. But then we have the sins with our mouth, maybe lying, maybe slander, uh, maybe flatter, gossip. And we take those sins and we think like they're really not that bad. They're really not that serious of sins. Where God doesn't take them so serious. Well, James is saying, hey, everybody, God takes them way more serious than we take them. I want to talk to you about that. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs that there's, there's the power of life and death in the power of the tongue. In other words, there's the power of life and death, the capacity and the potential for life and death in the very words that you say. Your words can work death in people, or they can bring life to people. So what an incredible statement about the power of our words. So James is trying to get us to understand that. So he keeps going bigger and bigger. Starts with a horse, goes bigger to a ship. Now he's going to go bigger even more. He says, just like a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, your tongue is also a dangerous fire. So what he's saying is this. He's saying, your tongue, though it's so small, has like the power to start a forest fire. Now, you all remember the El Dorado fire that was here back in June. El Dorado's fire, also known as the the gender uh, reveal device fire, uh, was just a few miles from here, burned 22,000 acres, cost $8 million to put it out. All starts with a little gender device, something so small, little spark or whatever, and burns 22,000 acres. A couple years ago, the biggest fire in California, the Ranch Fire, burned 400,000 acres. You know how it started? Somebody's just putting up a tent, hits a little uh, metal post, a spark goes out, and over 400,000 acres later, they put out. All started by a spark. So what the Bible is saying, that that's the, the power of your tongue. A tiny spark of your words holds the power to destroy so much, and a a, a careless tongue can light a fire that can cause widespread devastation. And can I suggest to you that it's forest fire season all the time when it comes to your tongue. Like there is dry tinder that is being, that can be ignited in your marriage, dry tinder that can be ignited in a relationship, just a little spark, dry tinder that can be ignited in your marriage, dry tinder that can be ignited in your work, where one spark, one carelessly 
uttered word can cause incredible damage. How many marriages, how many marriages survive because somebody just can't shut up their mouths? So such is the power of the tongue. He says in verse 6, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue also is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness or sin or iniquity corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. Hey, James, why don't you just kind of tell us what you're really thinking? Why don't you keep, stop holding back and tell us what you're thinking there? I mean, that was a lot. But he's saying this, this mouth of ours is way more incredibly powerful than we give it credit for. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, out of your mouth, out of your mouth, one day you're going to give an account to God for all the idle words of your mouth. You and I will stand in judgment for actually the words that we've spoken. So the Bible says this. The Bible says, in the midst of a culture that says, comment, comment, comment more, comment now, comment again. Just comment, 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 and forever comment. And people have the, the approach and disposition that, hey, I can say whatever I want, you know, whenever I want, whatever I want. I speak the truth. Well, the wisdom of Proverbs says this. Proverbs 29, it says, a fool utters all of his mind, but a wise person, a wise person holds it back. Well, verse 7, thank you. Verse 7 says, people can tame all kinds of animals, but who can tame the tongue? Who can, who can tame the tongue? So we see people can tame all kinds of animals. You go to, you go to uh, SeaWorld or Marine Land back in the day, and you see all of the, the, the great whales and Shamu, and people can tame those. And you see a little 100-pound little person throws a fish, you know, and they can tame these massive beasts. There's elephants in the zoos that are tamed. And all the animals that are tamed, but it says no one can tame the tongue. Like no one has power to tame the tongue. Humanly speaking, no one has a solution for this. No man can tame the tongue. So he says this, is you are not going to be able to win this one. You're not going to be able to do this one on your own. It's full of deadly poison. And the reality is you're going to need God's help. You're going to need God's help. So you cannot change your tongue by changing your tongue. You can only change your tongue by changing your heart. And God is the only one that can change your heart. So see, you need God actually if you're going to have help with your tongue. Let me say it again. You cannot change your tongue by changing your tongue. Really, it's like hopeless to change who you are, the words you speak in totality. God is the only one that can change your heart. And so your heart then is responsible for all your words. So James is saying, but no one can tame the tongue. You can't try harder. God is your only hope. Verse 9 says, sometimes it, that is the tongue, praises our Lord, the Father, and sometimes we curse human beings. It's like, well, what's going on with that? How is it that sometimes you're in the tent and the, the volume's going in and out and you keep praising God, but then before you hit Wildwood Canyon Road, you're firing off the text and you're cursing someone that's made in the image of God. So James is saying this. He's saying that, uh, that what is going on inside of us, and so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Verse 10, surely, my brothers and sisters, this isn't right. Does a spring of water bubble up both fresh water and bitter water? 
Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What is he saying here? When he's talking about, hey, how is it that if you have a spring, you can't have both salt water and fresh water coming out of the same well? What he's saying is that our words reveal what is down in the wellspring of our hearts. And he's saying that we can't have both kinds of water gushing out of our beings, bitter and sweet. In other words, all the nasty things that come out of your mouth are a reflection of what's in your heart. It all comes from your heart is what he's saying. Everything coming up from the bucket is from down inside the well. So if you have, for example, critical language, that means you have what? A critical heart. If you have condemning language, it's because you have a condemning heart. If you have nasty language, it's because you have a nasty heart there. Now, friends, we read the scripture and we've heard it, uh, we've heard it explained to us. Uh, we've had uh, an opportunity to do that. Now what I want to do is talk about applying the scripture. So really, everything I've said now is for this these next five points. We've talked about the problem of the tongue. We've talked about the power of the tongue. Now we're going to talk about God's solution, God's purpose for your tongues. For you note takers, I've got five of those that I'm going to give to you. God's purpose for your tongues begins with this. You got to allow God to change your heart. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about that, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, in other words, they're choosing to follow Christ, they're new. You become like a new person. The old person that you were, that person is, is, is over, and you become actually a new person. Many of you have experienced that. And then the Bible says in Hebrews, says this, God said, I will put my heart in their minds, watch, and my laws on their hearts. In other words, it's not going to be this external outward religion that you got to you know, try to follow. No, God says, I'm going to do an inside job on you, and I'm going to write my very words on your hearts so you will do what I want you to do. So James is saying here that, uh, and uh, the author of Hebrews is saying that we have a Savior who is, who is the one who is willing to lay us on the operating table, do some surgery, cut us open, Cut out our old heart that we were born with and cut out that old heart that is cold and hard. And then he's going to do a transplant and God uh, drops inside of you a new heart, a heart that is soft, a heart that is made of flesh, sews you up like you, you can't even tell anything was done. And God gives you a new heart. And that's who you become and God begins to write on your soft heart and transforms you. And many of us are here watching online. Many of us here are in church. And you're trying to walk with God. And you're, tr and you're aware of like your speech. And you're tired of how much you cuss and all that. But here's the reality, friends. Some of you, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. And I'm going to talk about that. You need God to transform you every day. So I want to give you an assignment. I want to give you an assignment to try out for a week, try out for a month, and see if it doesn't work for you. And here's your assignment. Your assignment is Psalm 1914, and it's a scripture to pray over your life. It's a scripture to engage in prayerfully every day and see if God won't change you. And here's how it goes. David said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength or my rock and my redeemer. Now watch this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in God's sight. 
what we need to recognize is this, is that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, they're inseparable. They're connected. So what you meditate in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. So what comes out of my mouth is a reflection of what I meditate on in my heart. So the words of your mouth are nothing more than a reflection of the meditation. So you cannot separate what comes out of your mouth with what is going on in the world of your heart. So I've been following Christ for for some time now, but I need to get up every morning, and I do this every morning with with very few exceptions. And, And I ask God, and I pray this over my life, Lord, May the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Lord, I need you to work inside of me. Lord, the words that I dispense this day. So if I get my heart right with God, then what I speak and how I treat people and how I react and how I act and my my actions, my reactions would be acceptable in God's sight. And you speak words that are truthful, but words that are encouraging to people that are beat up by life and beat up by the media and beat up by the pandemic and beat up by the economy and beat up by what's happening in their family. And you can speak words that are good for them and pleasing to God. But see, it begins with this, with recognizing that it's all about your heart. So we get our hearts right, friends, and then we have the opportunity to get our words right. So after praying, that's all connected now, so hang with me. Now, after praying and lifting up your heart before God, that is not enough. That is not enough. Additionally, we need to put a filter over what I allow to enter into my heart. And let me explain that. My heart that I've just prayed that God would transform. I think this is an area where we get tripped up at because on one hand, we can really love God. On one hand, we like church. On one hand, we want to follow Christ. But there is no way that you're, able, gonna, you're going to be able to maintain that if you're going to allow negative influences and negative people and things that you view that are negative and associations that are negative and whatever music, whatever you want to fill the blank in, whatever negative content you have in your life. When you have a steady stream of that flooding into your soul, how are you going to maintain this, a heart that's right before God? So straight up, Jesus explained it this way. Check it out. He said in Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. The overflow. Well, what is the overflow that you're depositing into your life? He says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, stored up in him. So thank you for joining the tent today. Thank you for joining online. Thank you for joining in your drive-in today. Because what you're doing is you're storing up some good things. You're storing up the scripture. You're storing up worship. You're storing up encouragement. You're storing up good things. But Jesus went on to say, but the evil man, the evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up. Do you see how important it is what we're storing up in our hearts? This is the key. So I'm asking you, what is it that you're storing up in your hearts? If you're storing up a lot of negative stuff, that's going to come out. The Bible says this, above all else, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your feet. Above all else, guard your head. Above all else, guard your kidneys. Guard your lip. Above all else, guard your, guard your what? Guard your heart. Above all else, you're to guard your heart. So we've talked about 
the power of the tongue. We've talked about the problem of the tongue. I want to close with this. Again, all that to say this. Now we're going to talk about God's purpose for your tongue. Five things that are purposes for your tongue. Number one is this, is words of affection. Words of affection. Don't be afraid to tell someone you love them. And I get it. People are introverted. People are extroverted. I get it. People have been hurt. I get it. People are wounded and all that. But I think that we underestimate the power of words of affection. I grew up in a home where you never hugged. You never expressed words of affection. I never heard it. Never heard it. When I was about 18, I never actually heard, you know, I love you. I knew my dad loved me, but it just wasn't part of the Collins culture. And I began to tell my dad after I became a Christ father, Dad, I love you. And then kind of caught on. And I don't know, it was a long time. And then he'd say, Rod, I love you. Or Rado, he'd call me. And so when you look at Jesus and his relationship with God the Father, only two times, only two times there do we see how God relates to God the Son. And he says this, a voice from heaven said, watch, watch the affection here. This is my son whom I love at his baptism and at the transfiguration, whom I love with whom I am well pleased. What would it do for our kids if we said, I am so pleased with you. I love you. The, the power of that, and you see that in God the Father, the only two times it's recorded in all of Scripture to God the Son. I'll bet it went on every day, but we just don't have it recorded. Well, secondly, I think we need to have words not only of affection, but words of praise and words of encouragement. So I get here early in the morning, and there's a setup crew and a lot of volunteers and all. And one of the things I do is I just look for words to encourage them, words to uh, affirm them, words to praise them. I'll just say simple things like, hey, it's great to have you here this morning. I love that you're here. I love your work ethic. I love your discipline. I love that you sacrificed to be here. I love what we're setting up church for everybody. And so find something to praise them about. It's really not that hard. Find something to encourage them. Well, does the Bible say we should encourage one another? Yeah, like this. It says in Hebrews, it says, it says, encourage one another like daily. Like daily. It says, while it's called today. That's how important that it is. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, a word aptly spoken, rightly spoken, is like apples of gold in a container of silver. Now think about that. The Bible says this, that it's like a silver bowl. Good words are like a silver bowl with golden apples. Well, well what, what's the deal about golden apples? Are they valuable? Are they beautiful? Are they resplendent? Are they well-received? Yeah, they're all those things. Your words, aptly spoken, are beautiful and resplendent and well-received and valuable. And so the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, this is how important our speech is. It says, let some unwholesome, no, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. But that which is good to build people up, not tear them down. So he says, so that your words would benefit others. So we want to speak words thirdly. The purpose of words is thirdly, thirdly words that are healing. Words that are healing. Life and death and the power of of the tongue, so we can speak words that are healing, life-giving words. The scriptures put it this way. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. 
Don't you want to have that kind of tongue? A tree of life. Fourthly, our words, the purpose of words, is words of affirmation. I really believe that most people are affirmation-starved. They're affirmation-starved, most people. Many people have never been affirmed. In American culture, where do we affirm people? When do we affirm people? When they die, at their funerals. you got the long, long line of people that get up there and go, oh, Grandpa Joe was so amazing. Used to, take me, used to take me fishing when I was a kid. Grandpa. And we affirm people. We affirm people when they die. But what if we do what the Bible says and we affirm them when they're actually living? So thank you for that one amen for the rest of you. Uh, but, what, but what do we do? So the Bible says this, that affirming, it affirms us, and affirms us, and affirms us. Things like you are God's chosen people, you're his tr- chosen treasure, you're more than conquerors through him that loved us. God has loved you with an everlasting love. I mean, on and on and on, how God affirms us. What if we took that, we affirmed one another? How many adults, I wonder how many adults have image problems, esteem problems, because their parents never spoke words of positive words of affirmation over their life. How many kids grow up devastated with terrible esteem issues because they never heard anything positive from their parents? See, think about the words spoken over your life. There are words spoken over your life, and I don't let very many negative things to get inside me. I'm just not wired up that way. But there's been a couple times where I've let negative things get inside me. And to this day, I remember them. One of them when I was 14 years old, uh, that spoke negative, and I remember it to this day. Another the positive word spoken over my life when I was 17 was by Marcy, who was in the neighborhood. And I'd walk by her house all the time, going to my friends. And Marcy would, would speak positive words over my life. And she would even... She would even prophesy over my life. I didn't even know what, I didn't even know what prophecy was. But she would speak words. She said, Rod, said, I see you. You're going to become a missionary. That was quite intimidating. But she spoke these positive words. You're going to become a missionary. I'd never even gone to church, and I'm going to become a missionary. Trying to sort that out. And she said, you're going to become a missionary. I, God shows me to Africa. You know what that did to me? Like for the next 10 years. I'm working out these words like, what, how is this going to happen? I'm going to be, and 10 years later, it became a reality. It became a reality again and again. But see, positive words spoken over us, uh, words of affirmation. Affirm the good that you see in people is what I'm saying. You can stop them and just say, hey, thank you. But really, really, all you have to do, it's, it's not that hard. All you have to do is say, hey, can I affirm you? I've never had one person, I've been doing it for years, I've never had one person tell me, no, Rod, don't affirm me. No, sometimes they don't know what to do, but they'll say, yes. Sometimes they're quiet. And I'll just affirm it, something that I'm thinking that this is, uh, like a couple weeks ago, that this person that I'm thinking of, that they're really faithful. Uh, I'm just going to affirm you. Can I affirm you? I told them how faithful they were. But it's that easy to do. You affirm your kids. You can do birthday affirmations. Just affirm your kids on their birthdays. What it'll do to them, it'll change them. I'm telling you, it'll change them. There's, there's incredible power. Remember, there's life and death. There's life in that, the words of your mouth. Well, lastly, perhaps most importantly, are the words of faith. Words of faith. God's purpose for us is to speak words of faith. Uh, and I'm talking about some lame, you know, positive confession. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about telling what people can become when you see what they can become. Words they need to hear, like, hey, you can know God. A lot of times I'll tell people, hey, 
I know you can do it. I'll look them right in the eyes. I know you can do it because they just need to hear that. But sometimes they don't have faith for their own life. And so uh, I know you can be a minister. I know you can lead worship. I know you can do a small group. I know you can find purpose. I know you're going to make a difference. I know you can be a minister. What I know in, the, in, uh, in words that are sincere, but speaking words of faith. There's a story in the Old Testament, perhaps you've heard of it, the children of Israel are there. Joshua was going to go into the promised land, Caleb and Joshua. And the story there, they decided to send out 10 spies. And so everyone, uh, one from every tribe, and they go into Canaan so that they could take it. And the Bible says of the 10 spies, they came back with a negative report. Negative report. But it says this of Caleb in Numbers 13, and I close with this. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. We are well able to overcome it. Those words change the history of a nation. Words of faith. So those words change the direction of a nation. I don't know about you, but I want to be a well-able kind of person, don't you? Come on, somebody. You want to be a well-able kind of person. One life to live will soon be passed. You want to be a well-able kind of person. A person that says, yeah, we can do it. God has spoken to me. God has made it real. We're going to do it. And so, friends, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of God. Inspired, inerrant, the most powerful book ever written. You've just heard for the last 30 minutes. And so, may you take what's been written and say, Lord, what do you want to do with it in my life? How am, I gonna, how am I to live this out? We just gave you five ways. So I want to tell you, I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. And I want to tell you, I love you. And I love being a part of this community. I love getting to do this with you. And I affirm you, you're a great church. And it's an honor for me. It's an honor for my wife. It's an honor for us to do this. And I'm so grateful for you. And I want you to always know that you are loved. That you are loved. And I always pray for you. Pray God's blessing over you. And I affirm you for who you are. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for today. Father, thank you that we could hear um, words, uh, not just picking up tips on talking to one another and then going back to our life. But Father, I pray we've heard words that inspired and breathed by God that would impact us, that we would experience the power of your words that are transformative. And that as we go out as people, we would have the wisdom to know the power of our tongues. And our tongues would be instruments of encouragement, instruments of affirmation and instruments of healing instruments of praise, instruments of truth, instruments of affection. Father, thank you that we know that you're the only one that can change us. We surrender our lives to you and give you control of our lives. Come now and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.